Hi, floppers. Before we start our regular nonsense, we wanted to make sure you knew the Flophouse is going on a four-city West Coast tour this January. It's the Flophouse Errors Tour, the biggest event in pop culture entertainment this year, probably. You can see us in Vancouver on Wednesday, January 24th at the Rio Theater, in Portland on Thursday, January 25th at the Aladdin Theater, in San Francisco on Friday, January 26th at Cobb's Comedy Club as part of San Francisco Sketchfest, and in Los Angeles on Sunday, January 28th at the Regent Theater. For tickets, go to flophousepodcast.com slash events. Again, that's flophousepodcast.com slash events. The Flophouse Live is like the podcast, but you can smell us. And now, without further ado, our regular nonsense. On this episode, we discuss Leave the World Behind. More like Leave This Movie Behind. (laughs) Guys, I started buying jokes from Gene Shalit. And welcome to the Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. Dan, do you want to explain to everybody who's listening why your voice sounds a little sexier today? <laughs> sexier. Um, I had a cold. All right. Mm-hmm. I started out mm. with a cold. Then mm. I had a day that there was a. I had a violent allergy attack. And before Hot. I get, before I get tweeted at saying like, "Did you check for COVID?" I'm aware that COVID exists. I have taken, you know, five COVID tests. Take it's that, straw man. Yeah, yeah, straw man. Take that shit. <laughs> well, I just, there's a lot of well-meaning the Batman villain, the straw man, he gets knocked down real easy because he doesn't exist. The, <laughs> look, I appreciate the concern, but I, I, I'm taking care of myself. I checked out if it was COVID. <laughs> Sensitive straw man cares whether Dan has COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's but, why uh, what Batman's like, yeah, I know that my money would be better spent helping people as opposed to yeah. me battling dudes. <laughs> I get it, straw man. And then I was getting better. Oh, no, it's straw man's partner, Slippery Slope. (laughs) I'm sliding down his ice wall. I was getting better, and then I went to Audrey's extended, you know, large uh, Filipino hard-partying family, had a celebration for, it's like the first birthday of one of her uh, nephews, and Uh uh, it all went back downhill after that. That was, I shouldn't have... I should have continued the recovery period. Is it possible yeah. that uh, that was a super spreader event and you got COVID? Hi, my name is Strawman. Uh, I, <laughs> it could be. Look, guys, I'm no saint. I, I can't control everything that happens, and I'm sorry if I have infected anyone. I did my best. I, I took five negative COVID tests. But if it turns out mm, they were all lying to me. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, Dan, uh, Dan, here's my new character, Strawman Shortcake. Uh, he, he he brings up arguments no one else is talking about and also delivers pastries. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, Dan, I do want to, I'm going to confirm for you, I have uh, I have been to at least the start of one of Audrey's family's parties and yeah. they go super fucking hard and I yeah. was like, oh man, I got to leave. And they're like, what? We're just warming up. Yeah. Was there a part where I curled up in a corner of the downstairs on the carpeted floor and fell asleep? Yes. Oh, Because they they kept going past where I was able to. Anyway. um, Yeah, they went where you can't follow. So the shorter version of that is I've been sick, so my voice sounds like this. And and Stuart is uh, in a different 
uh, room not recording with me in part because I've been sick. So apologize if there's any extra lag because we're all in three different places. Yeah, if we don't have our like normal like uh, electric chemistry that we usually have. <laughs> I used to watch the electric chemistry. <laughs> taught me. Uh, yeah. That was Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I taught you how to read. Anyway, so Dan, what do we do on this podcast other than talk about your illnesses and your wife's <laughs> yeah, family's parties? An extended <laughs> diversion. They, they thought from... they called into the Filipino house where Dan talks about his his in-laws' parties. You know, mm-hmm. Jolly Bee have... reviews. <laughs> <laughs> it's still very good chicken. I'm not necessarily right. a fan it's of right. the, the sweet Spaghetti, but I get Elliot's it. more um, of a trad chicken guy. He doesn't <laughs> like it to be all weird like uh, Jollibee well, chicken. I mean, well, the thing is, the Jollibee chicken is pretty is pretty trad. It's, it's very not, there's trad, not that, yeah. It's, it, there's not that much that's interesting about it, which surprised me when I first went to Jollibee in the mall near my house. But mm-hmm. I'll go there again. You know what? And maybe I'll try, I mean, <laughs> maybe try it was that kind of spaghetti. an explicit uh, attempt to sort of challenge – uh, you know, like worldwide uh, uh, fast food chain. So, you know, I'm not surprised that they went with like something with broad appeal, like. I mean, the greatest food in the world, chicken. fried chicken. The, here's, yeah. the, the thing mm-hmm. is, though, if it's, if it's called Jolly Bee and there's a bee, you expect to have a taste of honey. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think yeah, it just refers to that. that. The happiness of the bee that is their mascot. The wild and bee. Classic. Wild yeah. bee. Because they watched Wild Mountain Time and they were like, bees, yeah, of course. <laughs> Guys, uh, what do we do on this podcast? Oh, right. This is the second time we try to get back on track. Um, Let's see, make the, it three. <laughs> this is the advantage of me being sick is you get one of these freewheeling episodes. Advantage? <laughs> <laughs> um, we talk, We watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. In this case, actually, we watched a movie that that wasn't even a critical flop. Like, it got overall pretty good reviews. Like, mixed. Interesting. Mi- mixed positive. Uh, but it is a movie that a lot of people had negative reactions to vocally on the internet. Um, and also our friend, Elliot's and mine, uh, Lauren, uh, who we used to write with at The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Lauren Sarver, I, incredibly talented comedy writer. Yeah, uh, she took Audrey and me out for a... a she and her husband uh, took Audrey and me Sam out Means, for a... Sam also a very talented comedy writer. <laughs> a late wedding Creator dinner. of the show Mulligan, also on Netflix, <laughs> like Leave the World Behind. Uh, and they were really selling us on this movie as something that we should cover for the show. Uh, and mm. it, was, it was like number one on Netflix, I think, for like a week or whatever. So. According to... According oh, to Netflix. It says Netflix. So. <laughs> wow, interesting. Yeah, who knows? Also, here's the thing. Whenever, when Netflix uh, puts something on the homepage and it starts playing, if you don't press any buttons, and then yeah. they say that's the number one most watched movie on Netflix, You're saying there's it a, does not impress me. <laughs> that don't impress me much. <laughs> to, quote, like, yeah. man, to quote the Italian guy on the pizza box, that don't impress <laughs> me much. Yeah. Um... Well, anyway, I you know I trust her when it comes to this kind of thing. Uh, I asked her whether she wanted to s- say anything for the show since she'd been so instrumental in pushing it, and yeah. uh, she texted Karen Brockovich, and then she oh, texted. Oh yeah, that's a great. No, uh, frankly, that is a tr- that is the most trenchant. Description I've heard of it so far. Yeah, because yeah. Julia Roberts, the star of the film, is playing the is playing such a caricature of a Karen, you know, yeah. uh, East Coast semi-liberal but educated, complacent, wants everything her own way, white woman who gets angry at people instantly, does not trust black people instantly. We'll get to that. Uh, but that's yeah. that Karen Brockovich is a great way to describe it. Lauren, excellent. that's what that's what she said. Yeah, she said you can use that, and then she texted, "Ha ha, I still got it." <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, 
she is an Emmy winning comedy writer. <laughs> the idea that she still got it, you know. Yeah. But that's um, like a that's like a that's like a perfect over the shoulder gag, right? Yes, if, yes, yeah. perfect. Yeah. What we would call no TS. Yeah, yeah. That we would we would have asked her to be on the show, but uh, she is a, a hermit of comedy. She prefers to be in the shadows. So yeah, she doesn't uh, anyway, like sorry. public uh, mm-hmm. public uh, approval. <laughs> doesn't yeah. like to be seen by the public. Um, anywho, so. Let's talk about this movie, shall we? Called Leave the World Behind. Now that we've told the origin story of why we're doing it. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And my, and my voice. <laughs> yep. and, yeah, Do we yeah, have any other origins we need to talk about? Uh, mm-hmm. well, uh, X-Men well, Origins well, so, Wolverine. So Batman's parents walked him through Crime Alley for some reason, and uh-huh. the, uh, some crime happened, and now he's Batman. That's the origin uh-huh. of Batman. Yeah. <laughs> That's why his parents were killed by the straw man. <laughs> yeah, by yeah. the straw man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Batman was like, what do criminals fear more than anything? Bats. <laughs> because they're I mean, superstitious and cowardly, so yeah, I must yeah. become a bat. You nailed like, it. That's actually the summary. You did, I mean, I yeah. know what happened. You know, like he crashed through this window. I just think it's funny that... <laughs> well, what the is the natural that enemy of reached. criminals then? Exactly. He, I mean, do he join the police? He join the FBI? Like, he goes, bigger I must, criminals? What's right? He goes, he goes, I, must be, <laughs> I must become a larger criminal. And he builds kind of like a big puppet suit that looks like a bank robber, but it's like yeah. ten feet tall. Yeah. Yeah, guys, I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching Reacher, and I'm obsessed with big characters now. <laughs> He's so Every show needs huge. one big guy. <laughs> so right. big. There's a there's a sex scene. And I'm like, be careful. <laughs> you can't I, you can't love like a normal man. <laughs> I like that show, but I also like feel like it has like because he is so big and blonde, it has like this uncomfortable like undertone of like, yes, here is the Superman who is yeah, sure. both hugely strong and knows what is correct in every it's, it, circumstance. It's a step away from being called Riker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he comes oh, wow. into town and rips criminals apart with his bare hands. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like so much pulled chicken. Anyway, yeah. talking about ripping apart with their bare hands. There's nothing like that and leave the world behind. But Dan, shall I begin the summary? Please do. Get us on the tracks. Actually, Elliot, there is a part where somebody rips something apart with their bare hands. It's near the end, though. It's oh a yeah, kid's you're right. Teeth, where you're he right. yanks well, all them not, fuckers out of his. He's yanking teeth out of somebody. He's not ripping the teeth mm. apart. He's not like my teeth are made out of cotton candy all of a sudden. Uh, so leave the world behind. So we begin. We are introduced to uh, Brooklyn-based Amanda Julia Roberts and her husband Clay Ethan Hawke. She wakes him up. They're your basic East Coast elite, educated. I mean Karen mm-hmm. Brockovich. That says it all. Ethan, Ethan Hawke is America's hot daddy. I love him. He's great. He's, Ethan Hawke. I love him in everything I see him in. He's, I feel like he only gets better as he gets older as both an Whoa. actor yeah. and a charismatic performer. That's um, what I was saying And I think to it's Audrey. partly because he has, he has made this niche for himself, which this character, Clay, fits into exactly of the guy who maybe once was cool and thinks he might still be cool but is not cool. Like, did you guys see um, the episode of Reservation Dogs that he's in where no. he, he is not really right for the casting of this character? Alora, one of the main characters, she finds out who her dad is. She goes to see him, and he's a little too old to be that character, but he so perfectly captures this guy who, like, used to be kind of cool, is no longer cool, but still thinks of himself as cool. And yeah. there's a battle within himself for the guy, the man he used to be and the man he is now. And that's Clay in this one. He is a total beta cuck who thinks he's a cool guy. He walks around wearing a bikini kill shirt, but he cannot do anything with his hands. He can't fix the TV. Later on, he uses this beta cuckness as a secret weapon. We'll see. But we have Karen Karen Brockovich and beta cuck. Uh, they're, they're fighting crime, I guess. And... 
One morning, Amanda wakes up Clay and says, hey, I booked a spur-of-the-moment vacation on Long Island for us. I just rented a house. Let's just do it. Let's just go to it. By the way, I hate people. That's how she ends the scene. And then we get animated opening titles where it's like weapons and American flags and deer and clocks. And I'm like, oh, it's one of these movies. Okay. I'm like, uh, is this this Civil War directed by Alex Garland? That doesn't come out till next year. But it has that feeling. And then it says executive produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. And I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be a middle of the road movie. These are not two people I've I've known for, I think of it for radical artistic experiments. But Dan, what were you going to say? No, I just want to say as as, uh, beta as he may be, as like, yes, he is a trenchant in some ways, like portrait of a certain type of guy that so I fear that I might be, in fact. Yeah, well, but he, like, and he teaches like media as a college course or something like that, you know, yeah, media as, studies. As, as much as like he is, yeah, we, we, we laugh at him. I also have to admire, I have to give it to him for the chill way he responds to his wife having sprung... <laughs> Uh, a trip on him the morning yeah. as he as he woke up. Uh, well, I guess, and I, good on the, you, Ethan Hawke's I think, character. I think it's true. I think it's if this was a. I'm gonna lay some of my cards on the table. I think this movie is not really completely thinking through the things that it is doing. I think if it was, mm-hmm. if I felt like it was thinking itself through more, I would say that he is showing that he's a character who is so used to getting whatever he needs that it doesn't even occur to him to be upset that his wife has suddenly thrown their life slightly into chaos with a vacation. He's just like, he's the kind of guy where vacations sometimes fall in his lap. He works hard, I'm sure, at his job, but it's not, his job is as a media professor. It's not a life-threatening job. He's someone who is, who is used to relying on privilege, but he doesn't think he is. Like that, if I thought the movie was, maybe Kind of like Timothy Oliphant. (laughs) (laughs) I get that Uh, vibe from Timothy Oliphant. Like, he's a great actor, but I get this feeling of like a dude who's never had to worry where he's sleeping at night. You know what I mean? I mean, I've never had to worry where I'm sleeping at night either. No, that's what I, oh, cool. That's, that's that's what's (laughs) dreamy about him. I'm like, yes, Timothy Oliphant, you have so much charisma that you overwhelm. (laughs) He does. Yes. I feel Give like there's a, there's a certain. I, th- I feel like Timothy Oliphant or like Chris Pine are guys who are very handsome and very charming who understand that life comes a little easier to them because they're very handsome and very charming and they're like owning it a little bit in yeah. a way that I appreciate more than if they were like fighting it. You know, they're like that's what I like about the, that most recent uh, Fletch movie with John Hamm's performance as Fletch. I feel like he has like this certain air of like undertone of like apology that he's like this guy he's like look i understand why this guy aka me would be irritating but i kind (laughs) of have to be this way right now for what i'm doing so like i'm sorry but i mean i like the original fletch jessica fletcher in murder Mm -hmm. she wrote she didn't have it so easy (laughs) no she didn't yeah well crime followed her (laughs) Was, yeah, that's yes. well because I mean she was killing people. It's got yeah. her dark the last, passenger. Yeah, the last episode should have revealed that she was the murderer all mm-hmm. along. But anyway, so so I will have to say a couple of other side notes. I like the design <laughs> of their Brooklyn apartment. I think it's oh, very yeah. cute. It does. Uh, and also, I feel like right away, Ethan Hawke also seems. I don't know if it's just the way it's written, but he seems to be more comfortable with the dialogue. Uh, and the, like the the pitch and pace of this dialogue than Julia Roberts does. Immediately, I'm like, has she lost the juice? Does she not have it anymore? Because she's she seem, comes off very stilted uh, in a way that seems uh, that like it, in a way it reminded me of another apocalypse movie, uh, the Knock at the Cabin, which uh-huh. is also filled with nothing but stilted dialogue. Um, but 
for some reason it worked more in that movie than this one. But I'll get Here's, on to that I, I'm going to say here. I think I think I'm going to say two things to that before we get any further because I think that's an interesting point. I think she's playing a character who's very brittle and very uncomfortable, which I think is part of that. But also. Julia Roberts is not used to playing this kind of character, and I admire that lately she's been stretching a little more to play more unlikable characters. But uh-huh. I feel like th- this is no 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 uh, shade on Julia Roberts. She is not the performer that Ethan Hawke is, and I think that's because Ethan Hawke at heart is a theater performer, and so he kind of like yeah. inhabits his characters and kind of wears their skin a little bit more. She's a movie star more than she is yeah. a an actor, and he's an actor more than he is a movie star. That's a well, unfair unfair classification in some ways, but that's how I'm going to say it. I don't care. Hey, come at me, Jew Robs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got is, a is movie Ju- stars. Is Jew Robs not a good nickname for Julia Roberts? <laughs> yeah, is that I don't not know. a good one? <laughs> is there anything problematic about calling her Jew Robs? Um, I I will posit a third option too, which is that okay. I think that third way McCoy. Well, this movie in in a lot of ways is kind of like a mannered movie, like in the way it's written and shot. Yes, that's very true. And I would postulate that like you could go one way or the other. You could like cut against that manneredness and try and ground it more with like Ethan Hawke's very nationalistic performance, or you could do it the way that Julia Roberts is doing it, which I think kind of suits the writing. But to have both of them in the same movie might feel weird. Yes, yeah, I that's think- a good point. That's a great point, Dan, that there's a, there's not a consistency between the performances. And because yeah. we are trained to like realistic, natural performances more. And to, and so I think you're right that maybe the material would have been better served if they were. <laughs> I don't know. You should look at some of the uh, acting awards that have been given out over the years. Yes. Well, I'm not – I mean, I'm not – yeah, that's not <laughs> – I mean, the acting awards are often given for showy performances. And, like, there's a speech Julia Roberts gives later in the movie where I'm like, oh, okay, this is like – if this was released in theaters, I don't remember if it was, then that would be her Oscar yeah. clip, yeah. you know. Yep. But anyway, uh, the family drives to Long Island. They have two kids, teenage Archie and adolescent Rose, and everyone in the car has their own screens or music or phone call they're on. They're not talking to each other in the car. And Rose, we learn here, and it'll become more and more of a theme, is obsessed with watching Friends on her iPad. She is one of those adolescents that loves to watch 90s sitcoms on her iPad. And, and she's— then- they don't. They don't. They don't say it, but she's like coded as being on the spectrum or something, right? Maybe it's so hard for me to tell in movies these days. I feel like so many characters are coded that way that I. I don't. I don't know if it's accurate or not. And to be honest, when you're around little kids, it seems like yeah. every little kid is somewhere on the spectrum. Like that's why it's called yeah. a spectrum. So like the it's hard to know. It's hard to know. Adolescents are yes. so normally checked out from life in certain ways that yeah, it's that's hard what to she tell. struck me as. Just like the like a very like. Not even very, but like heightened enough that it's a, there's a point of it, like sort of checked okay. out adolescent I, who just I'm likes not, watching her tablet. I'm not sure if she's supposed to be on the spectrum or if she's a caricature of, yeah, these these young people today who only who live through screens, you know, and yeah. are obsessed with this fake past. Title. Unlike gotta, me, who was obsessed with screens <laughs> as well. Yes, true. Uh, <laughs> so, title. There's a lot of there's chapter titles in this movie, which always means that it's high art. Uh, first title, part one, the house. They get to the house. It's a very nice house. The kids immediately jump in the pool. Amanda goes out to get some groceries and he, she is weirded out by a bearded Kevin Bacon who is stocking Mm -hmm. up his pickup truck with bottled water and canned food. Nothing he is doing is weird 
at all. Like, I guess because she's a Karen, she's weirded out. And it was one of those things where I'm like, is she surprised to be seeing Kevin Bacon in Long Island? Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah. Like he's playing himself and she doesn't expect to see him all grizzled because- And the, the music's like, doing some heavy lifting too, right? I haven't too, seen right? you since well, Flatliners, she says. She what? Sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah right. we, have, we used to work together, remember? <laughs> let's talk about the music. The music is so forced, eerie, creepy throughout. It's almost blanketing the movie. When there's not a needle drop song with a with a with a very on the nose title, like uh, there was one where it's called like misled, we've been misled or something like that. And mm-hmm. but it's also it's incredibly eerie over the top. And it reminded me of something that they do in the movie Queen of the Queen of Earth, where or Princess of Earth, what's it called? Queen of Earth with um with Elizabeth Moss, where mm-hmm. not where the mm-hmm. the music is super creepy and operatic, even over things that are not on the surface, creepy, and it works really well. And here I feel like they don't achieve that balance, but the movie is trying so hard. When the family goes to the beach and nothing creepy has happened yet, the music is like, like it's, I'm like, I know something creepy is going to happen. Okay, you don't need to like, it's a little bit like, um, uh, if you have like a truffle oil and you go to a fancy restaurant and they're like, don't worry, everything is drowning in truffle oil. And you're like, this is mm-hmm. too rich. It's too much. I don't, I don't want it. Anyway, having established myself as, as that kind of, of liberal complacent, uh, coastal elitist, since I go to restaurants where they put truffle oil on things, let's continue. Mm-hmm. Um, she's weirded out seeing this guy stock up his truck. They go to the beach, the eerie music plays. Uh, my notes literally say the soundtrack in this movie is working hard. Uh, Rose at the beach notices a big oil tanker off the coast, and it's getting closer and closer until Dan. What does that oil tanker do? It crashes in like 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 speed two. That's what I was saying to. We did our speed two show in L.A. recently, and that that thing that tanker crashes for so long, and Audrey was like, "If I was on the beach, I would run away much earlier than they run yes. away." I'm like, "Yeah, I've I've seen speed two. I know how." Long it's going to take that tanker to stop before when it like goes aground. And the th- yeah. it, so it takes them a while to run away, but they all escape. We never see anyone on this ship. It's like the Demeter has just yeah. has just yeah. crash landed. And, it's full uh, of Drax. There's Drax all over it. It's full of Drax. We don't mean Drax the Destroyer, the lovable, <laughs> the only, lovable yeah. idiot. Yeah, we mean we mean Drax the Draculas, which are not which are also kind of lovable, but in a sexy way that's scary yeah. and dangerous. Uh-huh. You know. Especially uh, when they have hair that looks like a giant butt. <laughs> <laughs> Does that add to the sexiness, Dan? You like butts. Yes. Is it sexier to you if someone has a regular butt and a hair butt on their top of their head so it's like they have two butts, or is that less sexy to you? Uh, it doesn't I, have to be Gary Oldman, too. It could be on somebody who you're more well, naturally that's the attracted thing. to. Like, but what if it is, is Gary it, Oldman? <laughs> does it look like an actual but on the head, or does it look like Gary Oldman's Dracula hair? Because I mean, it's made out of hair. You're not going to confuse it for a butt unless they have hair that is yeah, pink I think, and, I think and that flesh that, textured. In general, that's an automatic less sexy. Okay. No, now, what if it was? Okay. What if it was? What if they were cone heads? It's not hair, but it's like a it's like a phallic cone that their head is made out of. Mm-hmm. Um, could they wear like one of phallic. those sort of like dunce caps <laughs> or like a you know like a jester like something that would cover it up like a wizard's uh, hat. Yeah, like a yeah. wizard hat. You yeah. want to see like a top secret type movie, but it's a fantasy movie, <laughs> and a wizard takes off his wizard hat and he just has a cone shaped head. <laughs> that underneath. would be a great gag, actually. That would be yeah. A movie called what like uh like uh, um uh spelling. I don't know spelling <laughs> spelling with a with an apostrophe at the or end. Or like yeah, or like Dork of the Rings or something like that. I mean, I know there's already <laughs> Board of the Rings, the best selling National Lampoon parody, but still okay. Yeah. 
So uh, as they're leaving the beach, a park officer tells them that ships seem to be having trouble with their navigation systems, which is a big mm, issue cool. if they're crashing into the beach. That would be close the beaches scenario, I think. I will say, I will say, I think this sequence is interesting. Like it feels, uh, it feels exciting, and also it feels like something is happening. <laughs> it, it definitely feels like something is happening, which is not a feeling you're going to get for a lot of the movie. Uh, yeah. Deliberately, deliberately from the film yeah. in a way that I think is doesn't work, but it'll try. So they go to the house, the Wi-Fi's out, the TV signals are out. Can and I also wait, point out- Let me just for, mention, they yep. see some deer in the backyard. Uh-oh, Stuart, what were you going to point out? I was just going to say, so this is one of many like disasters or uh, tragedies that occur throughout this movie. And for the most part, they aren't given a human face. Like no. it's given a very, and there's something that makes it, that I find distancing about it for something that should be very like emotional. It's like later on, there's a sequence with cars crashing, but they're all not being driven by anyone. It feels very, it feels both bloodless and distancing for what to me is, uh, I I don't quite know what the perspective of this movie is. I think I kind of know what they're uh, trying to say, but I feel like it does the, it does the message of the movie a disservice. I feel the, opposite because i think that it's thematic like i think that like it's about people who are feeling distanced and that's why all of the like the tragedies also feel like sort of like almost like happening yeah like in a dream beyond a scrim like there's okay. not we don't see the i think i'm gonna be in the middle i'm gonna be the third way this time i think the movie is going for what dan is talking about these characters are supposed to feel isolated and cut off and so there's a lack of humans around them. They're supposed to feel trapped. Uh, but I feel mm -hmm. like the movie doesn't it, – it's, it's trying for like an apocalyptic, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie where like the characters are stuck. They cannot get out. They're, things keep happening that get in their way, and they feel isolated and cut off from humanity around them. But I feel like the movie is not – to be honest, I mean, my main problem with the movie is I've seen all this before. It's not, there's nothing yeah. new in it to me. And the, and I think it overplays its hand in the amount of time it would take human civilization to or America to collapse. But I think it would help to see some of those people. And I haven't read the book it's based on, but I was reading a review that mentioned the book. And it was saying how in the book you do get glimpses of other people in other places becoming victims of this thing. Someone getting trapped in an elevator and starving to death. Somebody dying in a refugee camp. And you don't get answers, but you get glimpses of other people. And I think this movie— Okay. It, I think it would have helped it to ha to give it a greater sense of scale that way. It's supposed to, it wants to create the feeling of you're trapped and you don't know what the hell is going on outside. But what's going on outside is not mysterious enough, I think, for the audience to wonder about it. It gives you too many – it both gives you too much information and not information. Too much information oh. about the outside world, not enough human information, in my opinion. Huh, interesting. I just I disagree. I think that one of the strengths of the movie is that all of the stuff that happens, and I've seen people complain about this, you know, online, but like all the stuff that happens is so like sort of seemingly unconnected. You can draw the lines about like the things that are probably causing all of the stuff that they see, but they are like these weird incidences of something Distressing. See, I maybe I think this is more a sign of where my head is at. I think they're not weird and disconnected enough because yeah. the movie gives you explanations for each of these things, and I don't want those explanations. I mean, I kind of agree with you, but I think that the degree to which you know I do see people on the internet saying like, "Oh, none of this makes any sense." I'm like, I don't think I think you can patch That's together. Wild. That feels yeah. like that feels like people who are looking at their phones while they watch the movie. To be honest, because every now yeah. and then. 
the television will turn on and explain, or the radio and explain what's going on, basically. So I feel yeah. like that's you're not paying close enough attention to the movie. Go I can't read believe a book. we're learn how to. I read can't a believe book. we're arguing with Strawman again. <laughs> oh, the Strawman! He's struck again. Oh, the Strawman strikes Detective <laughs> Comics number four hundred thirty-three. Strawman and like a made-up avatar of like things I've actually seen people say no, online. <laughs> That's the straw man 2.0, with, the avatar. Yeah. The Stravatar. True. Anyway, so uh so we went to Stravatars, the uh the Turkish restaurant, maybe? Greek <laughs> restaurant. Uh, Turkish Ver- it's Mediterranean kind of. Oh, you yeah. know it's it's Virtues. some kind of pan Mediterranean. Oh man, the thing. fucking dips they're gonna have. They have a lot Amazing. of dips. You know they'll have hummus for free. They'll just put that out on the table. For free. Yeah, and just a thing of olive oil, but a little bit of hummus. You gotta buy more. They don't refill it. Uh there's gonna be pita on the table in a basket. One of the chickpeas yeah. everywhere, one of those types All of things. All you're doing you're, is describing a type of restaurant. I wanna yeah, clarify. Mediterranean restaurant, yeah. You're going to get a platter that has not that much meat. It's going to have dry chicken on a skewer and then like rice – and the rice is going to be fairly dry. And you're at yeah. description yeah, yeah, yeah. of a certain type There's of sour restaurant. cream or something. Tzatziki. Man, st- yeah. So Elliot's not a fan of Stravatars. You, <laughs> you don't like <laughs> – I'm not a huge. I'm not a. Every time I go to a Mediterranean restaurant, I go. Well, this is the driest chicken I've had. Thanks for giving me yeah, so little you, of you it too. You shouldn't get the chicken there. That's what should the, I get, Dan? You get the lamb, the the like the beef and lamb stuff. Like. The beef is pretty dry too. Anyway, I, what I'm saying is, throw it in a pot of water, boil it up. <laughs> <laughs> then give I it love, to me. I love Mediterranean food, but I, I agree that the chicken is pretty dry. Okay, so yeah. that's I sh- I'll try something else next time I go to, to Stravatars. So at, they go there, the TV and the wife are out. They see some deer in the backyard. That night, the kids are sleeping. Amanda and Claire are playing Jenga, very symbolic, very thematic. The house is mm. about to tumble. When someone knocks at the door, and they spend a lot of time arguing about whether they're going to answer the door or not. Uh, they are already in creep-out zone Well, they early. saw a knock at the cabin— and uh, they're that like, this doesn't, if they, this if doesn't it was go like, well. If they if it showed them watching that or they're playing Jenga and they're like, boy, that knock at the cabin movie was kind of creepy, huh? Uh, and there's a knock at the door. It turns out it's Mahershala Ali, two-time Academy Award winner, right? Mahershala Ali. And yep. uh, he's with a young woman. He says, I'm G.H. Smith. You can call me George. This is our house. You've been telling me over email. This is my daughter, Ruth. We were, and uh, we there was a blackout in the city. So we decided to come here. Everyone acts instantly weird and awkward. And guys, it's I've stayed in Airbnbs wild. where the owners have showed up just to check on something. It's never been weird. It's never been awkward. Well, it's, it's, it's weird, but not like this. Not like this. Yeah. Well, this this is like you expect at any moment. This is like the moment in The Happening where the old woman goes, you're here to kill me, aren't you? And Mark Wahlberg goes, no, no, never. <laughs> like they're both, both sides are acting as if they are criminals who are hiding a body that they well, need to dispose I mean, of. Be, like Clay is like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. I mean, Clay's super laid back. He's, he, yeah. he doesn't, Julia he, can't Roberts get, he can't get hurt. Yeah. Is like, yeah, he's like, is that Blade? <laughs> like, they, did Blade <laughs> ever show up? Mahershala Ali's like, it's been delayed yet again, or delayed, yeah. as they as we've been saying around <laughs> yeah. the set. The, the heavy impl- implication is that Julia Roberts specifically yes. does not trust this black man and black young woman. A black woman man in a tuxedo with, with his daughter who's in a fancy dress. I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's something they take a long time to get to, which is that to just come outright and say, like, She's probably it's probably because they're black, but it is so yeah. it's so awkward, and she's so ins. I mean, it's they're caricature characters again. Like if it was not if this was not a movie that was trying at times for a certain level of realism, it wouldn't bother me as much. If this was a Samuel Beckett play, I'd be like, yeah, yeah of course, these are flat ideas. These aren't characters. I don't know. I I, I 
100% believe that there's a woman who would act like this. Like, yeah, I guess that's true. No, you're right. I guess that's um, right. And I like I like the actress who plays his daughter. I don't I don't remember her name, but she's what from like industry, I think, and she's I mean, yeah. all bodies, in the bodies, bodies. <laughs> Just grist for the mill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna look up her name because I also like her in this. Uh, let's see, she is, and I like her character in it. The way that like she sort of like pokes at Julia Roberts and like wants to sort of like point out that she sees the type of woman that Julia Roberts is, and Julia Roberts like has. Kind of like this, like anti I mean antagonistic, but also like this weird grudging respect for her too. Like yeah. it feels like she's like, okay, well, this girl has my number. Eventually, and like, this is an actress named uh Mayala. I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, but that's what it seems yeah. like. Um cool. and she's really good in this. So uh they are everyone's in everyone's in it seems like it is two suspicious women and two men who are just trying to like smooth things over. That's the situation. Yeah. Uh she says there's a blackout, our phone stopped working, so we went to the beach house. Uh, Amanda's instantly suspicious, does not want them to stay at the house. And he goes, look, let us stay in the basement. I'll refund your fee 50%. And he goes to a locked cabinet. He unlocks it. He has the key for it. He takes out an envelope with $1,000 cash. There's other envelopes we see. And we also see a gun in the drawer. But Clay and Amanda do not see that. And he goes, here, take this $1,000. And Amanda's like, Clay, they could be con artists. And Clay is like, eh, It'll be fine. Come on. And Amanda asks. He's in a tuxedo. He's in a tuxedo. (laughs) Maybe he's James Bond. You know, Idris Elba should have been James Bond, but the racist wouldn't let him. And she's like, You're still going to argue Idris Elba should be James Bond? He's like, I know his stock has gone down quite a bit, but it would have been interesting. And she's like, That it's a a misogynistic, moribund uh, franchise. They've got to give it time to regenerate and find a new way to do things. And he's like, Ugh, here we go again. Anyway, they've had this conversation a lot about James Bond. If this would be a like if if they were pulling a con, this would be a big grift. This would be like a the sting level grift where they're like, okay, we're gonna figure out that we gotta go to this house and pretend that we're the owners. And what's and the end I'm game? What do they hope to get? We'll get whatever hand cash over a thousand dollars to win their trust. Of well, course, well, but that's constant. You got it, that, that's a con. That's a thing. con thing. You give a little bit you, to you get a lot. Yeah. yeah, but uh but I'm saying that I don't know outside of. The movies where we're living, I don't think that this is a, like, I don't know. I would, I would not be so suspicious of someone no, returning to the place that I rented and and saying you rented it from me. I know your names. Yeah, you, this, this yeah. is my name. I have a key to the. Ha- I have my keys to the liquor cabinet. He doesn't have a key to the house, but I guess he knocked just out of, uh, just out of uh, politeness. You know. Yeah, because, I'm or sure he does he has have a key, key to the house. house. Yeah, uh, and, but. And and let's talk. We haven't talked about the house at all. It's like super modern. It's very fancy. Yes. Uh, it is the the camera movements around yeah, the house does a lot of like the camera to spin. The camera does a lot of spinning. Yeah. So the house has a strange amazing. gravity that causes the camera to spin a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think or like the ca- float through floors and shit. Yeah, I think because yeah. the cam- later the camera is just floating through their car as they're driving away from all those driverless Teslas. But I think there's a the camera, like the music, is working really hard to make us feel this is a creepy situation. Yeah, when for the most part it hasn't been. And I've even been on vacation when the Wi-Fi and the power have gone out, and I have not jumped to the conclusion. That humanity is dying, or that we're under attack, which is what I mean, all the characters. I mean, humanity is dying, Elliot. I mean, all humanity the time. is dying, and we're under attack from ourselves. Pogo is right. We saw, we've seen the enemy, and it's us, you know. But still, Dan, I yes. like some of these camera moves, like in a vacuum. But the problem with yeah. them is, well, in a vacuum, like, you're not gonna be able to see anything. I mean, sure. you gotta unzip the bag so some light That's gets there. That's true. 
But the problem is, like, the whole movie is shot like that. Like, something like Brian De Palma usually, you know, with, like, very showy distancing camera moves at least saves those for, like, big moments rather than, like, just making the whole movie that thing. Like, yeah. there's like, virtuoso I, sequences. Isn't there a part in Panic Room where David Fincher has the camera go through the whole th- of a mug's yeah, that holder. one's just to be like, yeah, fuck it. We're going to do it when it's <laughs> and not I, important. And it feels like that. It's like that in this where they're like, you know what we can do with the camera? Let me show you. And I'm like, tell me the story. Tell me the story. <laughs> I don't I don't care about the tricks. I mean, Sam Asmel is, has a lot of tricks. The right and, he's us, uh, he, and he's using them all. Uh, but I don't think, I, again, like it's, I, I said this before, but like, I don't really think there's much point of view to it. Like, other yeah. than just like trying to make you feel like either to be like cool or to make you a little unsettled, there's not really a lot of point to many of the, the like yes. the I mean, wacky I agree shots. With that. Whether or not and there's a you know point. what I like style for style's sake. That's fine, but it's well, it just it's feels sti- if it's style for style's sake, I want more style or consistent style. Is this a movie that has a lot of loopy camera moves, or is it an austere kind of like isolated creepiness? Because it can't really have it both ways. It doesn't necessarily work both ways unless like um in repulsion where like they're like almost fantasy madness sequences that are like that you know among more naturalistic things but i don't know it's hard to have it be both austere and baroque yeah Mm -hmm. i mean maybe it's just because we you know lived through a you know a confusing worldwide crisis and it it's you know easy to dance on those feelings, but I did think Y2K? for me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I did. No, wait, Y2K. When, <laughs> that's, that's the Marx Brothers movie that they did at the turn of the, the turn of the twenty first century. He goes, now of course we got to watch out for Y2K, a Y2K. No, no, no. I'm telling you, you got to watch out for Y2K. But Y2K, why not a two L, a two M? <laughs> no, I'm telling you, Y2K. I don't understand. Why not a Y2J? Y2J. Oh, those guys, they get me every time. I love oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's in out. the Coconuts 2.0. Take a bow, <laughs> guys. Come back on stage. And, no, uh, oh, fuck. What the hell was I saying? Uh, you, you can't fucking talk about position. style for style's sake. Or, or we've all been through, through a thing. Big, We went through a big No, I mean, maybe it's just because of that. But I thought that I, the thing that I did like about this movie just hit my hand was I feel like it kept, like, through the isolation through sort of a bunch of disconnected events happening rather than like uh, an omniscient sort of like viewpoint of like what this is, you know, just like sticking with these characters, seeing these weird things, not knowing what information is true, what information is false, not being given that, you know, like I found it, an effective evocation of like the kind of disquiet, the kind of paranoia that I feel like I actually, I would feel in the, the situation, the fear. Um, is that a pleasant thing to relive? I don't know, but, but I, mean, I, I worked for me on that level. Actually. I, th- I wish it had worked for me more on that level, to be honest. Yeah. I feel I, what I kept thinking was, I mean, and spoiler as we, well, we'll, we'll we won't take forever to go through this movie. I, I promise. Or we will probably, but it's the flop house. Come on. But, um, uh, Civil society collapses almost instantly, it seems, like within a day or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while watching it, I was like, I lived through the last big blackout in New York City. And what happened yep. during that blackout? People had parties. They took care of each other. Like, I know the blackout in the 70s was bad, but the blackout 
20 years ago, a little bit less than 20 years ago, was in many ways a very beautiful experience. Like I I remember a lot of it being, uh, you know, inconvenient, but I had to walk, you know, a hundred blocks to get home. But what I saw along the way was really lovely. And the next day it felt like everyone was just like, all right, this is still going on. Let's make yeah. the most of it. Let's like take some take some time. And even with COVID, it went on for a long time, and it it was bad in our other things it did for our society. But you didn't see gun battles in the streets. You didn't see you know carpet bombing in in of New York and things. Yeah, so I felt like I felt, but I felt like the movie is the movie is creating a scenario that I just can't quite buy into. And it doesn't. What you're talking about is the way that I felt reading. I think it's the second issue of the second series of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen which for me captured the feeling the night of September 11th, the best of anything I've ever read, where the League has gone and Martians have attacked. They've burned people alive right in front of them. And they go back to the house they're staying in and they're just kind of like trying to kill time to get through the night. Like they don't really know what to do with themselves. And I feel like that's the feel, if there was a little bit more of that, of characters unsure of how to pass the time. Because it's like the, the night of September 11th, what did I do? I was my me and my college roommates who you know living in Manhattan. It was like, uh, I don't know. And we just watched Mr. Bean tapes for like hours because we just didn't know what to do with ourselves. And we had spent a day of of this, and we didn't know what was going to happen next. So I feel like this movie where everyone instantly jumps to, ah, uh, what are we? We're, we're, we're fight each I, other, fight each other. We got to get out of here. This is crazy. I, ah, the world's ending. I get it, it, it felt but unrealistic. I think that I think that you're forgetting that it is not just a blackout. It's a total communications disruption of any sort of communication. There's a blackout. There's like radioactive noises being shot Well, that at happens them. later. I'm talking about before There's that. Like, before that happens. Uh, but that's true too. Okay, so you're right. There are radioactive noises that are attacking people. <laughs> uh, so anyway, a man asked to see George's ID. He left it behind in a hurry. His story seems to have some holes in it, but the TV interrupts him with a national emergency warning that has no details. It just says national emergency warning. This is the funniest kind of warning you can get because <laughs> all it says is there's a national emergency and nothing else. Doesn't even tell them what That's to it. do. Doesn't tell. Doesn't. So uh, that night, George and Ruth are talking. He seems to have gotten some kind of a tip off from one of his clients. He's in the financial industry that something bad was going to happen. And Ruth does not trust this white family and wants them out of the house. And when nobody's in the living room, the TV blips back on with a CNN report about a terrorist cyber attack that is across the country and that goes turns to static. Uh-oh, we're ready for part two, The Curve. And I guess we better move quicker because there's five parts to this movie. Part two, no, no. The Curve. What? Okay, uh, Rose really wants to watch the Friends finale, but all the signals are out. Amanda sees these news alerts about cyber attacks on her phone and blackouts, and Clay is like, I'll drive into town. I'll get some more information for somebody. Yeah. And Rose sees a shitload of deer in the backyard. That backyard is yeah. full of deer. What's this all about? Ruth and Amanda, they're prickly with each other. They just do not get along. They speculate about what's happening. And Ruth was worried, we find out, because her mom was supposed to be on an airplane that night when the problem started. She's worried that her plane might have crashed. She, they can't get in touch with her. Yeah. Now, we have the first of what I'll call our intercutting uh, uh, fugues, where mm. we intercut between different storylines. I'm just going to—rather than going back and forth between them, I'm just going to tell you what happens with each of them. Yeah, There's please. three. Okay. Clay is driving around. His GPS and his radio don't work, so he gets lost. Uh, He steps out of the car, and the radio, when he's not in the car, briefly says that the cyber attack has caused environmental damage, which is affecting animal migration patterns. This is within 12 hours (laughs) of the cyber attacks that the animals are already having trouble migrating. I mean, they didn't say what the environmental thing was. Like, I presumed that this meant, spoiler alert, based on, like, what happens later, I presumed it meant that there was some sort of, like, like, chemical or nuclear yeah, issue yeah. that happened because of this 
that was sending the animals up. You know, like these deers probably carry the 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 tooth destroying tick that, that comes into the story later. Perhaps the blood is the infected TDT, with some tick, sort yeah. of uh, man. That tick, what a, yeah. what a baddie! This is not anyway. the fun tick that our friend Griffin spent time with on television. This is <laughs> yeah. this is a bad tick. Yeah. So uh, he finds a woman on the road who's yelling for help in Spanish, and he is so stressed out by the situation that he just drives off without helping her. And then a biplane starts dropping up. Red paper leaflets all over his car, and that also stresses him out to no end, and he's gets really yeah. upset because uh, no one wants leaflets. He's like, "Do I have to throw no. all these away now?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, "No, no, no, I don't like comedy." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it is going to Man. haunt him that he le- that he left this woman behind. That's story that's A. That's specific. Sorry, I gotta say, do you like comedy? That's yeah. specific, like. <laughs> tactic on the street yeah, annoys me to no end. Specifically, you know, like, I'm sure you felt the same way, Elliot. As someone who, you know, has worked in comedy in some form, you know, to be like, to have this thrust at you and have someone ask, you know, do you like comedy? And having the twin impulses of, like, I do like comedy, but you're helping to make me hate it by like making me yeah. feel like I must reject you. And also like, do you want an honest reaction? Like my, my honest reaction is like, yes, at one time I did like comedy, but working in the industry has soured me on much <laughs> I, of I it. I guarantee you that's not the reaction they're looking for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? So, d- here's why it doesn't bother me as much. One, I know those people are just trying to get stage time. I know. But I also, like, two, you just lie to them. You just say no, and you keep walking. They don't care. It doesn't matter. No, I, I know. Maybe it's just because I've had practice because in New York, if you're Jewish— you get the Orthodox standing on street corners going, excuse me, are you Jewish? Are you Jewish? Well, are you Jewish? you know, that happens to everyone, Elliot, not just oh, okay. Jewish people. Even to you, Stuart? Because you look pretty it, goyish. It, I know, but here's my t- therapist and, is right by Grand Army Plaza, so right around the holidays, oh, I, get, yeah. I am attacked. And there now, I, have the, is, I, there I, have I am a, wearing I, a yarmulke. <laughs> Yeah, you are wearing a yarmulke and payas, yeah. But here's the thing that, because uh, you're, you're going to a Hanukkah dress-up party. But uh, yep. the... So here's because I have the, a similar thing, but it strikes me more to the soul, Dan, because this is about my heritage and my and my religious beliefs. That if I say yes, I've got to join them in some kind of BS prayer that I don't like, and I don't want their mm. vision of the earth to come about. I don't want their Messiah showing up because their Messiah is like, yeah, well, of course, women don't get jobs and things like that. But also, if I say no, I'm denying my faith, Dan. And so many of my ancestors had to make that same choice in much more dire situations. So I guess what I'm saying is comedy is your Judaism. Anyway, moving along. Well, uh, no, wait, hold on. I, I, <laughs> there's so much We got to talk about this more. <laughs> no, we I don't. just wanted to say about the, the tip for people uh, with the flyers. Like, I, you know, take it and then throw it away. And I used to feel bad about throwing it away. But you know what? They got to stay out there until they get rid of all those flyers. So you're don't feel bad about throwing them away. Recycle them. Don't feel bad about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it really Did I tell you job- about the time when a couple of guys knocked on my door and asked if I was Jewish? I'm like, no. Uh, and but my wife is, and they're like, would you like us to come in and blow the shofar? I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie was so mad at me. <laughs> if it was a shofar blowing, I would love that. Come on in and blow the shofar. That's fine. But don't hand, don't hand me an etrog and a lulav. No, thank you. I want yeah. no part of that. Okay, it's Sukkot. I don't want to touch fruit, forget about it. So anyway, that's Clay's story. Meanwhile, George, he's worried his wife is not responding to any of his texts. They haven't even gone through. He's getting increasingly worried. He goes to check on his neighbors, the Huxleys, which I thought was a hilarious name for characters in a, in this movie to call them the Huxleys. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's an on-the-nose reference. Uh, their house is in shambles. He finds a satellite phone, but it won't work. He walks down to the beach, and this is one of these movies where the, one of these moments where the movie puts style over substance in a way that bothered me. 
he sees a watch on the sand and he goes to pick it up and he finds it still attached to a severed arm. Only then does he look up and see a huge trail of dead bodies <laughs> and a crashed airplane. Like, yeah. how did, mm-hmm. come on, how did you not notice that? that how did you not notice that? first part it? was pretty good. Yes. The second part could just be like, I mean, I've been on beaches. Just, you know, if you're around the wrong turn, you can, there's like whole shit you can't see. Just like have him like walk around some fucking dunes or whatever. But and he, the thing he is, just lifts it up slightly guys. and there's a plane crash. There's some some rich guys get fucking watch blindness too, and all they see is these fancy That's watches, true. and they're that like, "Whoa, what that kind of watch it. is this?" And yeah, so, uh, they never he, wear them. It's it's a good thing he yeah, noticed that airplane. Yeah, of drawer. course they never wear them. They're just collectors, Put them in a, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's sad, really. Give those watch to, watches what to the needy who need timepieces. <laughs> That's right. The needy always need to be places on time. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, George, it's a good thing he noticed that plane crash because he narrowly, narrowly escapes a second plane crashing into the beach right where yeah, he's standing. Yeah, yeah. They should call this movie yeah. Vehicles Crashing Into Beaches, the movie. Yeah, it's, it feels like he's being the target of an enemy stand in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure that throws <laughs> planes at you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he runs away. So meanwhile, back at the house, this is story C. Everyone's at the pool. Ruth has put on a bikini, and Archie is just perving all over her, taking pictures. He thinks he's he's slyly taking pictures of her, but she knows he's doing it. Rose is obsessed with where she saw the deer. She and Archie eventually, they walk into the woods. They find a little shed, and Archie scares her by making up a story that there's a creep who lives in the shed who has been watching Rose sleep, and then they wander around the woods seeing more In his defense, deer. it does look creepy. <laughs> it does look, it is very creepy, yeah. George gets back to the house. He will not tell Ruth about the plane crash. When she leaves, he tells Amanda that uh, this long speech about how the beha- his job is to look at the curve of the financial markets and judge the future from it. And the way the curve was turning led him to believe something really bad was going to happen. And if that satellite phone wasn't working, it means that America's satellites are not working. Suddenly they hear explosions in the distance and a painful, ear-splitting, high-pitched noise that they they it really hurts their ears. Amanda runs into the woods to find her kids, but the noise overwhelms her. She falls to her knees and the screen goes red. And we get now, the title, did- part three, The Noise. Not The Noise. You want to avoid the noid still. You want to avoid both the noid and the noise. Yeah, the noid ruins pizza. The noise ruins your, your brain. Uh, and your don't teeth. I know it. Um, what if the noid and the noise are working together? The noid is like, I'll ruin the pizza. And noise, you ruin Archie's teeth so that he can't bite the pizza, even if he wanted to. And the noise by William Faulkner. Um, <laughs> did you guys have the same reaction that I did to Julia Roberts running into the woods? To look for her kids, which is uh, she's a fucking barefoot running through the woods. Come on, man! Like that, you're gonna hurt yourself that way. Yeah, like yeah the she woods. Just, she, she's too worried about her children running. I mean, I, and the only mm-hmm. reason that I that that it bothers me because I know looking at her, she wears slip-on shoes. She's not tying shoes. She's not wearing boots with a zip. She wears comfortable slip-on shoes. She could easily slip them on and run. So yes, but she's so worried about her children. She doesn't care about her feet at that moment. I understand emotionally. I just wanted like like it struck me as like weirdly in this movie with a lot more like unrealistic things that I'm willing to like accept because they mean this or that on a metaphorical level or like they're uh-huh. just a strategy. Like the thing that hangs me up is like. She would be going, ow, 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 I stepped on a stick. Ow, the yeah. whole time. That's true. That's true. Well, I, it's interesting the things that we, that we poke holes in. I don't believe society would collapse that quickly. And Dan is like, what about your feet? They're going to hurt. Well, because, mm. again, I don't take it specifically that literally. I feel like a lot of the way this movie is made, you know, like I'm I'm willing to go with a lot of shit in some of these movies if they signal to me like, hey, 
don't take it like seriously. Like you're gonna fucking cinema sends this like poke holes in like the plot of it because it's not really gonna make sense. Well, but I don't think the, the movie. We're, we're I don't saying this, other things. I don't think this you know, movie has but, signaled that necessarily. Is the thing? Yeah, I think, I, I think that the one of the problems is it doesn't signal it hard. But okay, uh, but so I'm willing anyway, to anyway. You'll give it that. You'll give it that slack. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Part three, the noise. This is a shorter part. Amanda finds the kids. They go back home. She's arguing with everybody. She hits on the idea that the guy at the grocery was stocking up on food. Maybe he knows something. And George is like, oh, guy with the beard? That's Danny. He's a local contractor. He's a survivalist. <laughs> and Clay mm-hmm. comes home shaken and shows them one of the leaflets. And it's got a picture of a snake, a rattlesnake. And it's got Arabic writing. And Archie recognizes the writing from a video game, I guess. Yeah. And translates yeah. it as death to America. Bump, bump, bum. The white family. That's the like, thing. You learn a ton of cool shit from video games guys i guess yeah that's, that's what the media won't tell you yeah <laughs> which media <laughs> <laughs> you know you know the ones <laughs> yep uh, game pro uh, ign <laughs> yeah yeah polygon i'm calling you all out <laughs> nintendo power <laughs> uh, nintendo power is is it, deep in the tank for the establishment yeah, yeah. Uh, so the white family they decide they got to get back to the city but uh-oh the road is choked with a jam of crashed driverless new teslas on autopilot and then suddenly, more and you must have been drooling, Elliot, because you're one of those Tesla Tesla boys, right? I do own one to my eternal dismay every time Elon Musk does anything. But I, it's a car that I, I, it drives very well. I really like it. But the then more driverless Teslas start zooming towards them, and they have to steer through a gauntlet of driverless Teslas that to get out. That hasn't happened to you, right? It has not happened. to me. You Here's haven't had thing. to frogger around Teslas, right? Here's the thing: I don't know that when there's a communications cut out that there's some kind of program in the Tesla that tells it to automatically drive to New York City. I don't <laughs> uh, think that's that. I don't I, think yeah. that's there. That was a deliberate thing. Yeah, they like small town hacked. grads. Like, <laughs> I, I took it, I took the implication to be like whoever's like doing these attacks, like one they're of the things it. they're doing is they're just like sending a bunch of fucking cars there to like clog up the I mean, roads, to isolate you know? New York, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, when they first started having to drive through these driverless Teslas and they were like, ah, watch out, I thought it was yeah. really dumb, but it's over so fast that I realized suddenly I want more of this. It was just like, yeah. that was the right kind of dumb where I was yeah. like, all right, I mm-hmm. want to see them having to dodge all these driverless cars, but it It's like an Attack of the Clones where they go to the robot factory and have to dodge a bunch of shit, like, more of that, please. <laughs> I mean, it's dumb if there's only a little bit of it. But if there's a lot of it, you might be able to win me over. Part yeah. four, the flood. Now it's part four. Everyone's back at the house. Nobody knows what to do. Ruth, Rose is so mad she can't watch Friends. Archie is just masturbating to the pictures he took of Ruth. Clay and Ruth are vaping but together. I don't think he's pool. able to like finish off, right? He he's like, finish. I didn't take good it's- enough pictures. <laughs> I thought it was because he was too stressed out, but you think it's because he's disappointed uh, the pictures or not? Yeah, he's like, oh, I should have changed the exposure on this one. He's like, why can't I just use AI to remove her clothes? Why is the Silicon Valley mm. trying to solve the real problems of life? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, it, is a, it is a real issue we don't need to get into. Yeah. It's it's horrible. Uh, so anyway, uh, Clay and Ruth are vaping together. Amanda and George, they're drinking together, and they're starting to become friendly. And George tells a long story about a powerful client of his who— he can't name him. He goes, you'd recognize the name. Anyway, he's involved in a lot of covert military stuff and defense contracts. And I'm like, are there a lot of famous covert military contractors? Okay, maybe. That's yeah. fine. I just assume that because they produced it, he was friends with Obama. And that's, oh, that's, that's the way he was, yeah. the Obamas, he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that this powerful client who called him at the symphony and said, hey, can you move a lot of money around? And I have to go somewhere. And that George tells a joke and the guy just says, take care of yourself and doesn't laugh. And this frightened George so much that he assumed that the world was about to end and he had to go back to Long Island. And meanwhile, Clay tells Ruth about his drive and it starts raining. 
and a flock of flamingos shows up in their pool. This yeah. is one of those one of those weird animal things. Amanda and George <laughs> they dance together. And it, for, it's very weird. Don't movies, act like you're too good for weird animal things, Elliot. I love look if you. If yeah. this, that's the thing. I want this movie to be weirder. I want it to be Stalker. I want it to be Black Moon. I want it to be a weird mm. movie. I like yeah. weird movies. I don't like these so, movies that are kind of half-assed weird. You know. I do like that. La just said they dance together instead of Julia Roberts picks out of a, a record. And plays yeah. Baby When We're Grinding or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's true. She does play, it's called, um, oh, what's the name of that song? I wrote it in my notes, hold on. And does a dance that, I, you know, is pointedly bad. Like, you yes. know, like yeah. clearly she's meant to be like bad. It's not Julia Roberts dancing. It's like this character, how she would dance. Yes, uh, it's uh, too close by next. That's the song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's all about it's all about grinding and being hard. And Julia Roberts is. I mean, it Feel reminds a me of coming through. It reminds me of Julia Roberts and George Clooney's dance in um, Vacation Wedding. What was that called? Welcome to Hon- Aloha to You. What was, what was the uh, name of that movie song? Uh, I knew to it Paradise. before. Ticket to yeah. Paradise. That's what it was. Ticket Where to Paradise. They're deliberately dancing bad, and I'm like, these are the characters dancing. I like that. But uh-huh. it's this weird. There's this weird moment where they start dancing together. And it's like the movie wants us to think that they are about to make out, which makes no sense. It's not how yes. humans interact. And But also, maybe it's that Julia Roberts thinks that, but Mahershala Ali does not think that. Like, maybe it's an inter-character miscommunication. I don't know. But anyway, it doesn't happen because George— I think they're just up. scared and, you know, they're there and they're both hot people, so— I guess. Like, but, uh, it, for a moment, it seems like maybe it would happen, you know. I don't but, uh, know. But George is, George is sad. He's like, I can't, I'm worried about my wife. And that's when the high-pitched noise comes back and the power goes out. Uh-oh. That night, Rose cannot sleep. She is too obsessed with thinking about a joke about a flood that she heard on an episode of West Wing. And she says— It's more of a parable. It's not really a I, It's joke, been told so. to me as a joke. It's never been told to sure. me as a parable. Maybe, but uh, the— the, I, the I, got that, I, got that, I got that story several times in my church uh, growing oh, really? up. That would, that would come up in sermons— Oh, uh, so this, told to me, this is the one where the guy is told and there's a flood. And it was in the joke section of the sermon, right? It was the fun <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was jokes and japes. The japes, of course, are, you know, the, the, the minister using private information that it knows about the parishioners to do oh, yeah. Don Rickles uh, style. fucking crowd work, huh? Yeah, he's Comments. like, you know what I'm viral, talking about. You're cheating on your wife. You know what I mean. Anyway, that kind of thing. This guy. Uh, so it's, this, it's the old story about the guy hears there's a flood and he decides to pray for God's assistance and then a boat comes by and he goes, no, no, God will help me. And then a helicopter comes by and he goes, no, no, God will help me. And then he dies and God said, and he goes, why didn't you help me? And God says, I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. It's only ever been told to me as a joke. But maybe that's the, yeah. that's maybe because that's the Jewish way of telling it is, I sent you a boat. No. I sent you a helicopter. You know what? No, no, I sent you a boat. <laughs> it, it was, it was missing the delivery. Okay, but this up. is all, there was, that's that's the <laughs> news, so I sent you a boat. <laughs> but, but this is also, I could be misinterpreting it the same way. I think I've talked about how when I was a kid, I went I was at a friend's house and there was a, sam- a knitted sampler uh, or embroidered sampler in their bathroom with the serenity prayer, which I misread as a joke where it was, <laughs> let me, where it was like, let me have the, have the, what the, the strength to change what I can and the, and the, Understanding to to patients get through to again. accept the things I cannot change and the wisdom to tell the difference and the, and, that was, and the wisdom to tell the difference. That's how I read it with that kind of delivery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, that's a joke. Uh, anyway, so maybe I'm getting it wrong. Anyway, the point is, 
She says she's done with waiting. The next morning, she is missing. But they can't worry about that. Archie is spitting blood, and he can't stop pulling his own teeth out of his mouth. He just will not stop. It's the new fad that's sweeping the nation. What I gotta say, these, guys, these if, young if people noticed, with their screens and their removable teeth. What is this? They, what is this sw- existence? They're gonna they throw the people. Tide pods, and they pull their teeth out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm a wimp, guys. It's the tooth but- pull challenge. Maybe your wimps do. Yes. After I yank out the first tooth, I'd be like, fuck this. I'm going to leave the rest in. Yes, very much so. It's, yeah. and, his, and they're yelling at him, stop, He's like, stop. once you he pop, you can't them out. stop. <laughs> once you pop a tooth, you can't stop popping teeth, yeah. Uh, so it's, it is very funny that he just does not stop pulling his teeth out. And then almost like he's in a daze or a trance. And then afterwards he goes, my teeth. And it's like, yeah, no shit, dude. You're the one who pulled them out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're at we're at part five, the last one. They've run out of names for the parts that are referring to things. Just the last part. Uh, I gotta say, no, as a or maybe viewer, they mean the last it's person. A, they mean the last no, person. Maybe it's a reference to the fi- the fucking the final series of finale of oh, Friends. Oh, right. Titled that. I forgot the title of the Friends episode was the last one. That'll make sense no, at the end. But also, as a viewer, it's comfort. I mean, like you know that it's a double so meaning. So you're like, okay, cool. Like the movie's almost over. What if it was called Part Five, the last one, and then something happened that said Part Six, more to come. And the one there was more Leonard. <laughs> yeah, it says Leonard on it. Part six, Leonard. <laughs> Here comes he is. As a spy. Leonard, and you're like, no, oh God. <laughs> uh, no. If I'd have known, I wouldn't have watched the movie. <laughs> So, uh, George and Clay, they're going to take Archie to Danny's house, the survivalist, Kevin Bacon, to see if he's stockpiled any medicine. It's as good a plan as any. And uh, George promises Ruth, we'll be back in one hour. Set a timer. We'll be back in one hour. Amanda and Ruth go to look for Rose. They go to the shed, but she's not there. They have an argument, which turns into a heart-to-heart. Julie Roberts gives her Oscar bait speech about how modern life is all, everyone's pretending things are okay when they're not okay, and I do need people, and et cetera. Now we're back to intercutting between the storylines. This is what happens. Storyline A, George and Clay go to Danny's door. He meets them with a shotgun, and he says, oh, Archie's probably sick because of that microwave beam weapon. It's like the one they used in Cuba a few years back. I remember that story. I was like, okay, I remember that. Danny thinks there's been a war. He refuses to help them. It's time for everyone to look out for their own. He tells them, go to the Thorns' house because they have a bunker basement. And I was like, Jesse Thorne? A yeah, founder wow. of Maximum Fun? He has a bunker? Uh-huh. He didn't tell me? He's a bunker baby. He's a billion-dollar bunker baby? Eventually, George and Danny, they get so mad, they pull guns on each other, and Clay gets between them in a masterful stroke of, of verbal uh, masculine politics jujitsu, leverages his beta cuckness into begging Danny for help and saying, look, I don't know anything. I don't know how to do anything. You do. I'm just, and, and uh, you say you got to do what you need to do for your family. That's what I'm doing. Save my son. I can't do it. And he also offers him $1,000 in cash. And Archie gives, they give Archie some pills and Clay shows Danny the leaflet. And Danny goes, oh yeah, I had a friend in San Diego. Before the radios went out, he told me they saw similar leaflets there, but in an Asian language, maybe our enemies have teamed up against us. Bum, bum, bum. Story B, Amanda and Ruth encounter a big herd of deer. It's a stare down. The deer staring at Ruth. Ruth mm-hmm. staring at the deer. This goes on for a long it's time. It's a regular Where ring, these, too. These CGI deer are just staring at Ruth. Finally, Amanda runs over yelling and to get them to go away, and Ruth yells, and the deer go away. And Ruth goes, huh, I think the animals are trying to warn us about something. It's like, what would give you that impression? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they see Rose's bike tracks. You know how they say the animal's house. just as scared of you as you are of that? 
It well, also the animal is just as scared of the end of the world as well, you no, are. Yeah. The exact opposite. The animal is not scared of the end of the world because it has it doesn't care about human civilization. It's better for the animals if human well, civilization falls. True, you know? but apparently some of them have got gotten uh, all nuked down down south or something. Yeah, but they what don't about know about the, that. It's not like the deer are get getting to live in- the deer are like the text messages aren't going through. What happened to my dear friends in the south? Mm-hmm. If human civilization falls, they're not going to be able to live in all the cool zoos anymore. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> Good they point. won't get hunted. I mean, the uh, animals the, methodically. The, the animals that are screwed if human civilization falls are the are the collaborate collaborators: chickens, cows, goats, sheep. The animals that and dogs. I don't know especially. they're collaborators. I mean, they get eaten. Basically, I mean, dogs, yeah, chickens and cows do not have it good. <laughs> no, they have, yeah. they made a, they made a deal with humans. They said this is the way we survive our species. <laughs> we, there are so many more of us than there would be in the wild, but. Every some of us have to get eaten every now and then. Dogs are the collaborators. Dogs theory. are the ones who are like, I'm selling out animals. I work with humans now. I'm an official member of the family. Like I'm a I'm a sympathizer. Yeah, dogs are collaborators. Okay. Anyway, I don't know the number of wild dogs around. I think they'll do they'll do fine too once we're gone. I mean, they'll they'll revert back pretty. Well, I mean, the dogs will go back to the other animals and be like, I was always working to sabotage the humans. <laughs> yeah. I was always Take against them. Down them. From the inside. I was, I was encouraging them not to have children. <laughs> <laughs> I let them it, call me their fur baby. <laughs> it was the long game. Anyway, bring, allow me back in. So uh, George tells Clay they got to get to this bunker because what's happening reminds him of a three-stage plan that the military designed as the most cost-effective, cheapest way to topple the government. Number one, isolation. Step one, isolate them. Step two, synchronized chaos, which is a funny microwave phrase. Them. You microwave <laughs> them, drop leaflets, confuse them. Step three, coup d'etat, and civil war. That way the target, which is already so divided, does most of the work for you. And that's when in the woods, Ruth's one-hour alarm goes off, George steals him back, Amanda and Ruth look over to the New York City skyline and see explosion clouds, possibly a mushroom cloud, but I don't think it is because the buildings are not vaporized. And they hear hear gunfire. This is two days, I think, if I'm understanding the timeline, after the Wi-Fi (laughs) and the power went out. Within two days, New York has fallen into civil war, Anarchy, sporadic gunfire. That I don't believe. I think what had happened was a disgraced government official, Nizu, accidentally shot Takashi whilst <laughs> trying to shoot Akira, and instead Akira just oh. made a ex- huge explosion. Yes, New Tokyo so Empire, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Now, if that was what happened, if we saw a big Akira power bubble engulf the city, I would say, I understand what's happening. Yes, that could very this, well happen. Uh, this rules. And what an amazing moment in that story. What an amazing yeah, moment. It's That's, incredible. That story is such a hinge point from volume three to volume four, like at the way yeah. it's split up in the Dark Horse volumes, like- uh, it's, it's perfect. That's, what, what a beautiful thing. Like, and the, just page after page of buildings falling over. Oh, beautifully yeah, done. That's great. Katsuhiro Tomo and whatever assistance he uses, <laughs> if he has any. I assume he has some. But uh, Oh, we have a legion of them, sure. I'm sure. Oh, with lead, like angels that are really easy to kill? Legion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. See our no, Legion episode uh, pers- for that reference. It's Professor Xavier's son. He's got a bunch of dudes living in his head. Oh, I see. Uh, He's go got Dan, so many I'm personalities. Sorry. We got super into talking about Akira and Dan got <laughs> Dan's Dan looking is it up on his phone, I'm literally assuming. Literally oh, looking know, on his phone. <laughs> pointedly not paying attention anymore. Uh, no, I, but I, like, Elliot, I don't think you can blame... New York getting bombed on the the breakdown of New York society. I don't think you can be like, oh, it wouldn't fall into this so quickly. It, like it's getting like that bomb is clearly a bomb, not like because of the breakdown of society. But who's bombing New York? I, if you're if yeah, you're trying to take I, over the government, New York is not the place to attack. D.C. is the place to attack. New York. Why would you go there? Why would you bother? Uh, I mean, we don't know. 
<sighs> we don't I know. I mean, it's like, possible that it's possible to what that George's, degree. It's possible George's explanation is just a, a made-up explanation. If yeah, this was a civil thing, war, like, you would not be nuking New York because you want that financial infrastructure. You want to take control of it. You don't want to destroy it. I don't think anyone who is, you know, on the non-New York side of of the Civil War cares so much about what happens to well, New York. Well, it's the difference between but, a Civil War and a, and a coup d'etat is the thing. And they, the movie tra- treats them as if they are the same thing. I know, but I think that no, we're not to take any of the explanations for what's happening as the final explanation. I don't think. I think that there's one that, like, fits things to a degree— but we also don't know whether that bomb is coming from inside the house or outside the house. Like, we don't know whether it really is, like, one foreign power working and, like, putting out pamphlets that in- implicate other foreign power to, con- con- you know, continue to confuse people or it really is those people working together. I think that that's all deliberately left uh, Maybe. vague I feel- and it's all I- about, like, seeding, you know— then I feel Fear. like the movie is is doing itself a disservice by providing an explanation that does fit all the clues, pretty much. That yeah, but the, even if it fits the clues, we don't know how it's being implicated, imp- implemented. You know, no, like this could be part know, of the confusion. From watching movies, of, I, maybe it's I become trained to if I see clues and someone gives an explanation that fits the clues, then I go, oh, that's probably the explanation. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that like even if that's the explanation for what's behind it, we don't know. Precisely what how this fits into that necessarily like like I think that I guess anyway. so. I mean, it, it, it is it, 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 it a does not matter. It does not. It doesn't like make literal sense. but yeah. it fits the thematic rule of they are trying to use the metaphor of civilization crumbling. Well, I think yeah. it feels that's like, all. It, it feels like if, if the metaphor seems to me to be saying we are so we are are this is how fragile our the world we live in is. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think it's doing a great job of of selling that point, but it doesn't matter. The movie's almost over. Let's just get there. Ruth, yeah. she's broken into the Thorns' house. She has eaten all of their junk food in a hilarious moment where she's just sitting at the table eating junk food. She goes down into their bunker. A computer alert system says that the White House is under attack and high radiation levels have been detected. She doesn't notice that. All she sees is there's a huge TV, a huge DVD collection. Guess what they have? the entire run of Friends. She <laughs> pops in the Friends finale and we cut to credits as the Friends theme song plays because you know what? They won't be there for you as, they, <laughs> as the song says. So it's very ironic. It's incredibly ironic. Well, and what's true the- also is, no. but what is actually true is no one told you life is going to be this way. That's true. No, that's true. That's going true. On. A, a jobs, the, their jobs are jokes and now they're broke and their mm-hmm. love life is as DOA as everything else in the world, yeah. you know? I mean, George's love life is very DOA because he thinks his wife has died in a plane crash. Uh, and <laughs> it's one of these things where Ruth, is, Ruth, Rose is supposed to, oh no, uh, Rose, not Ruth. Rose is supposed to be, I think early on she's coded as this kid, all she cares about is TV. She's never going to survive. This, you know, she's, she's, she's done for. But now she's the only one who's going to survive, potentially. You know, she's discovered her her lust for television has brought her or hunger for television has brought her to the one safe place. Maybe that's the future. And what I would like is, you know what? Maybe this is what I, what's wrong. Maybe it's a uh, maybe this is in my mind. It's in the shadow of the play Mr. Burns, this really amazing play where mm-hmm. there's been some kind of ambiguous catastrophe and society recreates itself around half remembered episodes of The Simpsons. And it feels like this movie is kind of fainting towards that kind of thing, but not, it's not as good as that, plan, yeah. you know. 
Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's doing a very. I mean, like it's it's ending on that note, maybe of like you know. I think I mean I just took it kind of as like a black joke at the end of the a Shaggy Dog story of like that's possible. You know, this but is if that's you know, the, she's but if that's I mean, it's one of those things found where it's like her if, ultimate if a, shutting out of the world. If it's a joke at the end of a Shaggy Dog story, this cha- the story was not for me was not gripping enough, and the joke was not funny enough to not justify an, an over two hour yeah, movie. My life is a Shaggy Dog. Yeah, now it, the Shaggy it, Dog DA. Now that's a Shaggy Dog. Story. That's a Shaggy Dog story. It doesn't get shaggier than that. When he's the sha- when he's the dog. When he's the DA, it doesn't. It's not so Shaggy. You know, yeah. Yeah. Real love um, on a leash. <laughs> Legal on a leash, law on a leash. Yeah, the shaggy. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to final judgments. Do, 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 do. Guys, there, just real quick, there wasn't any bloops or anything in the post credits because I didn't. No, I turned it off no, immediately. I didn't see any bloops or or Samuel Jackson didn't show up and tell Rose to join to join the uh, Friends <laughs> Initiative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Is this a good bad movie? A bad bad movie or a movie you kind of liked? I think I've tipped my hand a little bit already. Like, I basically, I, I I give this a mixed positive. You know, like I give like on Letterbox, I gave this three stars, which is the like, you know, we all have different ways we interpret the star that system. That seems fair. That seems fair. Yeah. A, a three star to me is like kind of like the lowest something is that I might say to someone. Yeah, you, you know. You, you could, you know, yeah, why don't you watch it? You, like, if you're interested, you know, check it out. You know, like, it's a mild positive for me where I'm like, not everything works, but... I mean, the power's out and the Wi-Fi it, and the cable. But I did I did take it, you know, like... Like I said, when I take something not sort of like 100% like as like realism on a story level because it's so clearly trying to just more evoke feelings and like also say something, even though I agree like what it's saying is kind of muddled. Uh, I'm more forgiving about all that, that stuff. Like I wasn't like hung up on a lot of details. I liked the performances. I ha- I think it has some like genuinely like interesting images in it. And unfortunately it gets like lost in kind of a wash of like, like we said, it's all crescendos where like there should be a couple of like key images that really pop out. Um, that's a very good way to put it. But I also kind of like that it ends on this this note of like nothing nothing is resolved at the end. Like our characters are all scattered. They're all sort of at this suspension point in the story and you don't know where things could go and if you're a cynic like this is like truly the end. If you want to look for signs of hope, like I think that the movie shows like the characters growing closer over time as society falls apart and like there is like clay is able to appeal to this man's better nature you know plus some money but like he's so, like, able amanda to amanda and, and ruth find common ground when they've been yeah, at each other's like, all movie. i think that yeah i think it's constructed so that you can find hope if you're looking for it and i sort of enjoyed that i i, I don't think i agree that like in some ways i've seen it before but you know mild kind of liked I think I'm going to go – I think this movie, I it's hard for me to be fair with it because I've seen this story so many times. And this is a kind of story I usually really like. I li- And yeah. we have a question coming up that I'm actually going to cannibalize some of my answer for that. I like society falling apart stories. I like people being isolated and not knowing what's going on stories. And I feel like it's unfair to this movie that I've seen it done so much 
better in other forms and even other movies. And so it's to be honest, this movie, and this is maybe an inflammatory way for me to put it, this is like the Obama's version of this movie. It reminds me of the presidency of Barack Obama where it was like, I want to like this a lot. On paper, I should like this, but I'm not getting as much as what I want from it. And in the end, it wants to have it both. It wants to be both a chilling indictment and a sign of hope in a way. Yeah. Like it can't, it's, and it's muddled in the same way that I find a lot of Obama-related stuff muddled, to be honest, where he's like, reach for the stars, but realistically, we've got to compromise everybody. And it's like, hold on a minute, come on. But the, uh, I, I think the movie suffers from just doing something that I've seen many times before. It's not necessarily a bad movie, but it is, it, there's, it's, there was nothing in it. There, were no, there was no, like you're saying, there was no like kind of striking key image. There was no moment of real scaring or tension or chilly or fear. There was no, it was, wasn't disquieting in the way that I hoped it would be. And that, you know, I've seen movies that are quietly eerie where you're like, I can't, I can't really get my my bearings. This is really throwing me off. And this movie is not that. And so I just was, I was just disappointed in it. You know, I'm, it's not that I'm mad, but I'm disappointed. If I was rating it, this is like a two and a half star movie for me, which again, is not the worst it could be, but it yeah. is, I'm not going to go out of my way to recommend it because there's better versions of it, you know? So on our scale, I guess it's bad, bad, but it's not as bad as it bad, bad could be. You know, I wasn't like, ugh, ugh, this movie, but I was like, all right, so that's all there is. Okay. I did. I asked my mother, is that all there is? Yeah. I, uh-huh. I looked at a house on fire and I said, is that all Hold there on. is to a fire? Hold on. I want to see what, I want to see what Stuart's face is. He's Jesus been making me. Jesus fucking Christ. No, I'm just, Ellie, Ellie just want, like, we put a fucking couple nickels in him and he won't stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was, to, at a certain point, Stuart, I was literally filibustering to make you have to wait longer <laughs> to give your judgment. Like, oh, eyes continuing to glaze over. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think I'm going to, I'm going to air kind of closer to Elliot. I'm going to say it's a bad, bad that I don't think it, I think this is a movie that has plenty of, uh, it has, it has some cool bits and cool moments and things that I liked, but I feel like similar, like similar to what I talked about when we were talking about the camera, like the camera movements and camera tricks is that it feels like it's a collection of ideas that don't necessarily, uh, that don't actually have a clear, like it, it's not tight yeah. enough. It doesn't have a clear, and that, um, that isn't to say that it's like terrible. I just don't think it, like it, it's not really saying much. It feels, it, yeah. in some ways, it kind of remind me of, uh, it remind me a little bit of uh, Ex Machina, the Alec, Alex Garland movie, where I'm like, there's a lot of things that I like in this, but I think as a whole, it's not saying anything particularly new and it doesn't feel like it's, like it, like it's somebody like playing at making a movie. <laughs> which oh, is a I love, shitty. It's a shitty. I way love X Mac and I. Like, well, I don't like. Does something need to say something new specifically? Like, I, I think it. I think X Mac and I has a kind of a clear message in a way no. that this movie does not. Well, Ex Machina, I think, I think for me, the the like thriller elements didn't work as much because I feel mm. like I didn't like it. Uh, it. I don't know. I don't, well, want, I I don't want to get in the weeds on well, X well, like, Machina yeah. right now. It, it's hard for a movie to, to have an ambiguous quality to it. With X Machina, I think you you as an audience are supposed to wonder, what's the is this robot really into him? Is he reading too much? Is there Or is it programmed to do this? But 
it never really, yeah. I don't think it ever fully achieves that. But like Alex Harlan did Annihilation too, right? Which mm-hmm. Annihilation, which, think, which is great. I think does a, such a great job of creating that kind of, the kind of eeriness that this movie is looking for. And the kind of, and the kind of thing where every now and then there's something, there's an image or something that is very frightening and surprising. Like I feel like that's a movie that it's not the same kind of story exactly, but it, it yeah. accomplishes the tone this one's kind of going for in a much and then, um, in a cleaner and way. And Min is the way. same way. Min is the same way until it gets becomes the craziest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen Men yet because I've been too busy watching the Minions movies with my children. <laughs> I say you want to watch Men, and they go Minions. Yeah, of course. Sure. <laughs> I feel like I feel like your kids would at least like the last ten minutes of. <laughs> I love the idea of like Elliot. <laughs> presents the DVD of men, but he's just <laughs> taped uh, like a little piece of paper that says ions at the end. So they think it's misspelled minions and then watches men <laughs> with it. <laughs> Sammy and Gabriel, and they get to the end of that movie, which I will not spoil for Elliot. <laughs> yeah, don't some spoil of that it. Stuff, you'll see. Oh, huh. I have to watch it. So I is think- it, would you describe it as cuckoo crazy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess they are the same in that at the end, <laughs> at the end of what happens, it goes, banana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I should have known when that movie was rated CC for cuckoo crazy that I, yeah. that I should have seen it mm-hmm. in the theaters. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this movie, if I'm going to say one last thing about Leave the World Behind, it's not so much as it's bad as I think it's unsuccessful at what it's trying yeah. to do, for me at least. Yeah, I I think I can even agree with that. Even though I basically enjoy the vibes, as as they say. Hey, this is Andrew Reich, the host of Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. If you've never checked out Dead Pilot Society, this month's episode might be the place to start. The cast is incredible, headlined by the one and only Zoe Deschanel, and also featuring Paget Brewster, Michaela Watkins, Hamish Linklater, Asif Ali, and Maximum Fund's very own Hal Lublin. So go to MaximumFun.org or your favorite podcatcher and check out this incredible cast on the latest episode of Dead Pilot Society. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I. Hmm. Were you trying to put the name of the podcast there? Yeah, I'm trying to spell it, but it's tricky. Let me give it a try. Okay. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, call S-T-O-P-P-P-A-D-I. It'll never fit. No, it will. Let me try. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-P-D-C-O-O. Oh, we are so close. Stop podcasting yourself. A podcast from MaximumFun.org. If you need a laugh and you're on the go. Let's do some uh, ads. That'll be nice, you know. Get a nice little scratch. Break. Nice Tell break people the, about some products. Yeah. yeah. If uh, anyone's still listening, that was a long talk about Leave the World Behind. Yeah, I hope you are. Hey, how are you? Anyway, <laughs> the podcast is sponsored in part by Babel. Oh wait, I do want wait. I do want to see one what? last thing, which is what in the say, ad section? I say, wait till pro- we're back from the ad. Sorry, I just say the problem that the, a lot of people on the internet had with that movie was the ambiguity of the ending, which just is not my problem with it. I liked that yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's go to the ads. I have a different problem. Okay, Babel. That's who's sponsoring us today. Babel only. 22% of Americans speak a language other than English at home. Start learning a new language this fall and be the exception, not the rule. Or this winter, I think this is old copy. But because with Babbel, you start speaking a, a new language in just three weeks. 
You can start speaking a new language with Babbel. Why Babbel? Because it works. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor or fooling yourself with language apps that are little more than games, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. And one study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. All that wasted time at college. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Look, it's a great way. If you want to learn some new language skills at home or sharpen up some language skills you used to have, perhaps in the days of high school and college when you were forced to take classes and such things, but have since utterly forgotten, this is a great way to do it. So why not... Go over to Babbel.com. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners to get you started. 50% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel.com slash flop. Get 50% off at Babbel.com slash flop, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash flop. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yeah, you know, the world is full of people, but even more importantly, the world is full uh-huh. of Kitty cats. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about kitty cats and rescuing and feeding those beautiful baby kitty boys. This mm. podcast is sponsored by Smalls. Smalls' cat food, Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients that you could find in your fridge if you opened the door and looked. And it's delivered <laughs> right to your door. That's right. Your Smalls refrigerator recently, door or the door to your house? Uh, I mean, I think it's up to you, actually. You can specify on the form. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's not true. It comes to the door of your house. Uh, Smalls recently kicked off a partnership with the Humane Society. They've donated over a million dollars worth of food to help cats through the Humane Society, and they even give you a chance to donate when you check out. So, I like smalls. My cats like smalls. They attack the box. I like feeding them something that's I going to not block. be just a big... Yeah, I attack the block, of course. Uh, I like feeding my cat something that I know is uh, an actual, like, is actual food instead of just slop out of a can. Um, after making the switch to smalls, 78% of cat owners reported their cats have shinier and softer fur. And, you know, you're going to be petting that cat a lot. You want that shit to be shiny and soft. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, is your cat food giving back to cats in need? Well, Smalls is. So if you want to give Smalls a try and ditch kibble forever, head to smalls.com slash flop and use promo code flop at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code flop for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code flop for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. Guys, have you ever had Hormel slop out of a can? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> yeah, Some why not? It's got a lot of sodium. Go though. nuts. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, yeah they call, it was called sodium slop, and then they, they changed the name because people weren't buying it. Hey, guys, we have some things to promote too. This episode is not brought to you by these things, but hey, I'll still tell you about them. The last episode of Flop TV is coming up just about two weeks after this episode, about three weeks after this episode. That's right. The first Saturday of every month, we've been doing Flop TV, the television show version of the Flop House. It's a compact one-hour show where you get one PowerPoint presentation or presentation of some other kind. You get to, we talk about a movie and then we answer questions from the audience. 
this Saturday. It's our season finale, which means we're seeing Nuki. That's right, Nuki, the second worst movie I've ever watched. I don't think Dan and Stuart have seen it before, and I'm going to make them watch it. So go to theflophouse.simpletix.com, and then you can join us on January 6th, Saturday, January 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, to watch us talk about having watched Nuki. That's our last episode of this season, but we've had such a great response. We've been enjoying it so much. I think we are going to do another season later next year, uh, probably not till the fall, but we hope you've been enjoying it. If you missed the episodes up till now, get a season pass, and you can watch the videos of every episode of the season. That's six episodes. Those will be up online through the end of January. At the end of January, we will take them down, and we will start working on another season and our other stuff. What is our other stuff? Good to mention, you may have heard the announcement at the top of this episode, it should have been up there, that we are going on tour at the end of January. It's a four-stop West Coast four-city tour. We're calling it the Errors Tour. It's essentially the most important thing to happen in 2024. Go to www.flophousepodcast.com slash events. That's flophousepodcast.com slash events. And you'll see that January 24th, we're in Vancouver. We're going to talk about Cobra. January 25th, we're in Portland. We're going to talk about Cool as Ice. January 26th, we're going to be in San Francisco as part of San Francisco Sketchfest, and we're going to talk about Gili. And January 28th, we'll be in Los Angeles talking about Spawn. So that's the Errors Tour, four cities, four dates. Go to flophousepodcast.com slash events to see us in human person if you are near Vancouver, Portland, San Francisco, or Los Angeles. And to be honest, with modern-day plane flights, you're near any of those cities. Just take a plane there. You can do it. Yeah, just just take a plane. Just take a plane. I have one last <laughs> thing I want to mention. Uh, the my, the final issue of my uh, comic book miniseries, Disney Villains Hades, issue number five, is coming out right after Christmas. That's from Dynamite Comics. Please pick it up. Get the rest of the series if you don't have it. It's a five-issue miniseries that is a mythological, funny heist that's exciting and hilarious. Hades, the villain from the Disney movie Hercules, has collected a group of uh, mythological oddballs to steal the Golden Fleece. I think you'll enjoy it. And soon, I think I'll be able to announce some other comic book stuff that I'm doing. Uh, it'll be fun stuff that I think you'll like. But but until then, pick up Disney Villains Hades number five right after Christmas in comic book stores. Cool. Okay, let's get back into the show. What do we do next, Dan? Next on the show, uh, we do some letters from listeners. Listeners <clears throat> like you? Um, this first letter is from Alex, last name withheld, who writes? Alex Garland. Alex why Garland. Guys, Stuart, why don't you like Ex Machina? Dan, thanks for liking it. I like it. your Love other Alex. movies. <laughs> Dearest Peaches... I've been looking for a chance to introduce my wife to the Flophouse and saw the Battlefield Earth live show as a wonderful opportunity. Previously, the most communication we had regarding the podcast has been me mentioning some obscure fact about a bad movie uh, we would be watching and her asking, did you learn that from your movie boys? <laughs> One evening. <laughs> what a better she, fucking name than Flophouse. Yeah, the, we should have been called movie the boys. boys. Oh, yeah. man. The movie boys <laughs> would be a much better name. Uh, oh, boy. We could have gotten in at the ground floor. There was nobody called movie boys. It's, no. uh, it's equally endearing and belittling in a way that <laughs> is appropriate. Uh, one and then evening, we can watch good movies sometimes, too. Yeah. Uh -huh. One evening, she was working on her laptop, and I figured the show would be great to put on in the background. A few minutes into the presentations, she commented without looking up, Wow, that one has a nasally voice. It was not the flopper one would assume. Oh. 
So I mean, one would uh, assume me. So I don't, that leaves two yeah, behind. I, 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 mm, yeah, I don't me. know. We'll find out. Yeah, right, right in. <laughs> Let's do a fucking Twitter poll. <laughs> Later, I mean, very nasally today. Later during the synopsis, I peeked over to see how she was enjoying it. And sure enough, she had on a pair of noise-canceling headphones. Overall, a great first impression. Yeah. I'm not sure at what point she decided this wasn't for her, but I have a slight suspicion Stu's lord up regarding Warhammer was a bit too similar to when I annoy her with impromptu D&D lore. Mm, I, probably not. I was. <laughs> she probably thought that part was really cool, and then when it was over, she's like, time to put on the headphones. She's like, I need the headphones on so I can yeah. ruminate and meditate on what I've just heard. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, though, how the show could have captured her attention. Maybe if the Flophouse solely covered J-horror or switched entirely to a podcast about comfy core cooking shows. I know that I personally can be sucked into watching any film based on the premise of the 10% of your brain myth, i.e. your limitlessnesses and, and Lucy's. Lucy's. Yes. What trope or topic, when you see it in a film, grabs your attention, regardless of how good or bad it may seem otherwise, Alex, last name withheld. P.S. Stu, what should my next D&D character be? Well, I want to uh, say first, uh, thanks, Alex, for the criticism and notes, the demographic yeah. report on how we're not attracting I mean, your wife's interest. Appreciate I think it. that I mean, she has every right to cancel our noise. She does uh, not, maybe, Dan. She does not. Maybe, you know, don't spring, <laughs> spring the Battlefield Earth show on her while she's doing something <laughs> else. But, uh Yeah. Yeah, maybe after boys. hearing my lore dump on the Primarchs of Warhammer 40,000, she put on the noise-canceling headphones, similar to the way that Lord Skrulk of uh, the uh, Clan Pestilence mm -hmm. of the of the Skaven tore out his own eyes upon gazing yeah. at Nurglitch because he would never see a more divine being. Sure. Possible. Uh, so, sir, that old should, chestnut? Yeah. <laughs> who should his, uh, who should his, his next character be? Uh, I would say I'm a big fan of human paladins that are not the, like, woodsy one but the most normal like boring paladin i think playing a character that has like a rigid uh moral code uh, and is good is is fun to play like a lawful good guy that's what you should do lawful good paladin preferably human uh as for these like uh tropes or whatnot that uh, always lure us in i'm gonna name a couple things that are i mean pretty much like subgenres, but uh also can be elements and i like uh I'm always sucked in by a heist. Love a heist. And uh, I like a It All Happened in One Crazy Night movie. Mm. <laughs> I, I like movies where there's twins, you know, and there's like a twist that are twins. Yeah. <laughs> like Dead Ringers? I don't, or, yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, Stu. Yeah. You see his eyes light up? Yeah. Or like Femme Fatale where they're basically twins. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Give me that shit. Uh, I was until this episode. I was gonna say uh, post-apocalyptic stuff, but it realizes I realized I like it afterwards. I'm a sucker for any movie where someone is walking through the ruins of a famous building, or and they don't mm -hmm. know what it is. Like the you know, um, if you're watching uh, like Logan's Run, that movie starts really working for me when they get to Congress and they're like walking through the ruins of Congress and they're like, we don't know what this is. I don't know what this stuff is. I really like that for some reason, but maybe this needed more of that. Maybe I want to see the sequel to this that takes place like a like 500 years in the future. I'm also a sucker whenever something can uh, like build up a villain or group of villains really well. Like uh, if you can effectively make a villain scary without us actually seeing them, I think that's awesome. Thumbs up to that shit. 
I specifically like uh, if heist is too broad. I was thinking about like something that within the heist that's always fun. If they're assembling a team, I'm on board. <laughs> oh yeah, you love that. Yeah, even if it's not done that well, like there's still a little bit of zazz in it. I think I like uh, I like seeing fist fights or physical fights in a narrow space. Yeah. The characters don't have a lot of room to move around in. That's something I'll watch any movie that where they do that. You know, from Russia with love, uh, old boy, old Prussia old with boy. love. <laughs> Did you say from Prussia with love? Yeah. Yeah, from Prussia yeah, King, with love. Uh, the, it's the narrow margin. king of Prussia, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this next letter is from Jeff Lasting with who writes, Peaches, why do Gold only bloom. certain, why do. <laughs> <laughs> then he, he writes like this, uh, Peaches, why do only certain uh, film franchises. Uh, get, <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, now, why do only certain film franchises get deep dives into the lives of their secondary and minor characters? Why do only some stories get spinoffs and media tie-in novels? To even the playing field a bit, I propose that some industrious person publish a book of short stories titled, You Know Such Lovely People. This will be a Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina-esque book of short stories, though the book will feature the characters seen at Nick and Nora's Christmas <laughs> Eve Christmas party. Christmas Man? During The Thin Man, yes. Think about it. A short story about the guy who calls San Francisco to cry to his mom. Mm -hmm. What's his deal? Did that boxer ever become a contender? We'll of course find not. out. That's the joke of that boxer. He gets knocked out instantly. <laughs> All these questions and more will be fleshed out in stories ranging from 30 to 50 pages each. <laughs> wow. Let's, let's make it happen, Peaches. Who would want to read this theoretical book? I know I sort of would. Jeff. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that our listeners are writing in book ideas for Dan to write. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 straightforward answer as to why some franchises get them and some don't is money. Uh, oh, which franchises okay. they think they'll be able to make money off of those? But, yeah, uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I do like the idea of t of taking that uh taking just a party scene from from any movie <laughs> that has sequels and doing those characters. I mean, the, the, yeah. the difference for the most Eisley Cantina is partly that the characters in that in that book are aliens. Uh, yeah. Whereas the characters in the, in the Thin Man are just kind of like Damon Runyon style, uh, you know. Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, that's all implied. You have to read between the lines to know that they're aliens. What about and the guy Nora. who keeps the guy, the woman who's trying to stop the guy from popping all the balloons with a cigarette or whatever it is that he has? Yeah. Like, uh, I love that scene. You know why I love you, Nick? Because you know such lovely people. And then the next scene is great too, when he's he's using his Hungover. Christmas present of the BB gun, and, he's, yeah. and he shatters the window, and he pretends to fall asleep. <laughs> uh, good movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mainly just read that so we could all reminisce. So let's. Uh, yeah, Stuart, move what's on. your favorite moment in The Thin Man? <laughs> yeah, uh, is that when he uh, like when he uses those spheres to drill holes in people's heads? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it. I believe you're thinking of the tall man. <laughs> oh yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, let's move on <laughs> to recommendations of movies that uh, we liked a little bit better than, say, this one. Um, Hell yeah. I'm, I finally, speaking of things that are on Netflix, forget Leave the World Behind. I finally got around to watching May, December, the new Todd Haynes movie. Hey, you know you know who's good at acting? That Julianne Moore, that, uh, that Natalie Portman. Man, and, and that the, fucking the, Charles the Melton is so good. Yeah, that fucking dude from Riverdale turns he's out he's so great. good. The way yeah. he like holds his body when he gets uh, upset, he holds his body like he's a little teenage boy. 
It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's a movie that uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I couldn't imagine it not upsetting you if you were to watch it. The theoretical person I'm talking to, like, like it is, it has upsetting elements, and you know, it's up to you to decide whether it's worth watching to you. But it is so wonderfully done. Like the characters are so good. It's a movie that, like, uh, you know, it's it's, funny. it's about. It's about delving into questions and finally only more questions. And it's funny. And it's, you know, it's there's like some distancing techniques that are used in it only at like certain points that kind of like underline the encrosion of this sort of, uh, uh, you know, tabloid uh, movie version of their story into their life. Uh, I don't know. I can't. I'm not talking very uh, well because I'm. I'm I'm overwhelmed with uh, thoughts and also Benadryl. So the uh, and I love how on. the score, like like you said, like the score is like a fucking '90s uh, like movie of the week type yeah. movie score. It's so great. Oh man, that's a great movie. I gotta. That's I think that's next on the list after we after my wife and I finish watching the holdovers. I think we're gonna watch May December. Yeah. And there's and there's a a big old probably prosthetic hog in it. So enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned that's that before. That's something yeah. for the ladies and dudes. <laughs> and dudes, yeah. Yeah, everybody. Everybody can enjoy that. Anyone uh, who takes appreciation out of the beauty of the human body, yeah. <laughs> the beauty of prosthetic organs. <laughs> that's a thing. It's it's an important art. Where would imagine, movies I, be? Now, I imagine David Cronenberg uh, hears you say prosthetic hog, and he goes, I can't wait to watch it. And he watches it, he goes, hmm, I wish it was goopier. <laughs> I thought yeah, it was yeah. a real hog that was <laughs> sewed on to someone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That turns into a cannon or something. Uh, I'm going to recommend, I don't think I don't think any of us have recommended this one yet. I'm going to recommend uh, Nicole Holofcener's movie, You Hurt My Feelings, mm -hmm. uh, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you say it as if it's a joke. Tobias you expect that Menzies. we're going to laugh Okay. Uh, sure. I mean, everybody loves that dude. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so it's about Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays a, uh, a mom who is a novelist and she overhears her husband uh, talking shit about her most recent work, and uh, it like the the relationship follow that follows that, um, and it's got a ton of small character performances. Um, it's funny and touching, and kind of about how uh, you know both like at least for me about like what we uh, the emphasis that we put on our jobs how it isn't necessarily the most important thing in the world and also how uh, the little lies that we tell each other to kind of get through life. Um, and I thought it was uh, really good. Right. Well, I, ha I don't think we've mentioned this movie yet either. Uh, I want to recommend Born to Dance from 1936. Uh, <laughs> stars <laughs> Eleanor Powell and Jimmy Stewart uh, and Buddy Epson is in it. And this is one of these movies that it is a musical comedy where the plot is almost non-existent. It's so gossamer thin and silly and stupid, but it's very funny where Jimmy Stewart and these other two, and, and uh, Buddy Epson and another guy are sailors who are on leave in New York uh, and they get mixed up with dancers. And Eleanor Powell has some great dance routines in it. She's a dancer who 
for some reason, I feel like I came too late and her dancing is amazing. And Jimmy Stewart is very silly in it. And Buddy Epson, I'm who, really silly in it. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'm, I'm in New York. It's me, Jimmy Stewart. Is, oh, okay. is, Mr. Stewart, you're here. I, I thought this movie was so funny. Uh, I bumped into some dancers in New York. <laughs> and, uh, and Buddy Epson, who I think if anyone remembers him now, it's as Jed Clampett. But when he was young, he was a, he was just an amazingly cool dancer, just an amazing dancer who had this very cool kind of like um, ease to him. And so uh, Born Dance, if you want to watch something that's just really silly and really fun and there is no substance at all to it for the most part, it is just real goofy from one moment to the next. Uh, it, the movie ends and it, it's like the movie climaxes and it's like – did we did we tie up all the plot threads? Who cares? No, we didn't. Let's just get to the big dance number. You don't care. So that's born to dance. I looked up Tobias Menzies and I was like, oh, I've ba- I've barely seen anything he's been in, so I felt better about not knowing why you oh, were so man, excited you should about watch, him. You should watch things. He's in stuff. Yeah, he's in. I should uh, watch you know, he's things. in some TV. He's, he was in oh, Rome. TV. I should you check saw out some Rome, TV. right? He was in Game uh, of Thrones. You saw that, he was, right? He was in Game of I, Thrones. I, I, he was I in, watched uh, one season of Game of Thrones. I never watched Rome. He was in that great uh, in that great show, This Way Up, with Sharon Horgan. Nope, and, never saw uh, it. Oh man, and uh, what Ashling B? Man, that's great. Look, this I'll way up. Check you should out check out it out. Filmography. It's fine. I'm just Look, saying. He was, he was in the BBC Two miniseries of The Shadow Line. I know you saw that, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, bitch. <laughs> I did see the night manager. He was apparently in that. He's, yeah, night manager rocks. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that important note about the night manager, I know you saw. I know you saw uh, Pierpont, the last hangman, which he apparently was in. Right. <laughs> I'm just looking up his Wikipedia right now. <laughs> hey, uh, if you like us, why not go to iTunes, leave us a five star review. If you don't like us, five stars. Maybe like wait, listen to like a few more episodes until we wear you down and you're like, oh, I like them five stars now. And then you can leave that review. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a like like relationship strategy. If you hate, if you hate <laughs> us, well, I'm not sure why you've gotten to this point in the podcast. You know, it seems yeah. like you could have just turned it off at any point. Very true. But you know but still what? leave us a five-star review. No more, yeah. Well, I was going to say, no more action is needed. If you hate <laughs> us, we fulfilled the terms of the contract, which was we provided you entertainment for, for no uh, recompense directly from you. Unless, I guess if you're a member who's grown to hate us, I apologize. But please continue anyway, to give us I've, money. I think I've covered all the bases. That's what happens with parasocial relationships, you know? You know? Familiarity can breed contempt. It can, it, you know, it can. <laughs> it can, and I get it. But just stop listening. That's fine, too. Um, but thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like oh, he I feel saved like this, it. He saved it in the end. Yeah, I feel like nothing. Nothing says Dan McCoy to me in some ways more than him saying, "Please stop listening." Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you for your support. Look, I can't buy Benadryl without you. Thank you for being a member. We'll um, we'll have a member drive again soon. Uh, but also, thanks to Alex Smith. He's our producer. He's our editor. He goes by Howell Dotty on the internet. Look him up. He's got his own great podcasts and music and all sorts of stuff. Very talented. Um, also, uh, check out MaximumFun.org. As we mentioned, we're part of that network. There's other great shows over there. Uh, I listen to many of them. I'm not going to name names because I don't want anyone to feel left out. 
But uh, Dan, they can also uh, they can also go to that me. website to buy Flophouse merchandise or oh, buy yeah. a jumbotron. Personal That's message. You know what? Mm-hmm. We haven't had a jumbotron in a little while. If you want to get up on the jumbotron, you can go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. It's spelled as you might think. Jumbo like Mrs. Jumbo and Tron like the movie Tron. Like Mrs. Tron. Jumbotron, but not separate words altogether. Anyway, yeah, because in Tron, they, he gets shrunk down real small, but in this case, it's real big. It's a big Tron. <laughs> That's what Some we're kind of a jumbo about. Tron. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I've said enough for the flop house. I've been Dan McCoy. Hey, it's me, Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Thank you so much for your time. We'll take up more of it next week. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like I'm going to pass out every time I cough, though. That's not great. That would be wild if it happened in the episode, though, right? Yeah. So maybe maybe try and set that up. If you see me (laughs) fall out of frame, one of you should call Audrey. First, we'll go. It'll take take me a minute. Uh, yeah, I'll assume that you fell out of frame because I made you laugh so hard that you bazooka yeah. Joe out of that shit. <laughs> yeah. If we see Dan's feet flip up, <laughs> the then we know it's because of a hilarious gag. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.